0: mm <laughs> Entirety, the only Doctor Who podcast that got thrown out of this morning's Christmas service for taking the doctor's advice too seriously. I'm Nathan. I'm Todd.
1: I'm Peter. And I'm James.
0: Well, it's Christmas Day again. Embarrassing relatives, unfunny Christmas crackers, and a turkey so undercooked that a decent vet would give it an even chance. But all the time, far away on Transalor, whole centuries have been passing. It's the time of the doctor. This is another one of those episodes where a lot of people really dislike it a lot, and we're going to find ourselves saying how great we think it is. Is that right? I had a journey with this episode. The Todd experience? The Todd journey?
2: It kind of was the Todd experience. We talked in our Snowman episode about the importance of context to enjoying an episode. And so when I watched this first, I was at home in London on Christmas Day in 2013, and I wasn't blown away by it. I kind of channeled my inner Jeremy Bentham. I was like, yeah, a bit of a curate, good in parts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the roof was leaking, and I think Dale had been tedious, and the chicken was undercooked or whatever. And I just <laughs> didn't have a particularly good time, and I didn't appreciate it for what it was. But then I went back to it a couple of months later, and I thought, I misjudged this. This is pretty good. And then I went back to it a year later, and, you know, maybe something could changed. Maybe Emmerdale was good and maybe the chicken was cooked and the roof was fixed and stuff like that. But I thought, wow, this is really something special. Yeah, I love it. What about
0: you, Todd?
3: I think the anniversary sort of celebrations overshadowed this. Mm. So I was very much in the headspace of I loved Day of the Doctor, the Five Doctors reboot, And, of course, an adventure in time and space. Space space and time. I get it wrong every time. (laughs) Um, And so they were all very much in my thoughts as being just a glorious trio of adventures. And then this came along and, and, you know, I knew Matt was going and it was sort of like, oh, yeah, I liked it. But it was just sort of like it didn't blow me away. It was sort of like we're just tying off all the loose ends and we're getting to the end and and I was just a little fanboy waiting for the next Doctor really to arrive. Did it feel
2: a bit like sort of the morning after the party?
3: Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so I just kind of, oh, yes, we're going to have, oh, here are the Daleks and here are the Cybermen. Here's the angels and here's the Sontarans. Here's a crack in the wall. Yeah, <laughs> and here are the silence. We're just putting everything we can in and – we don't have river song we've got another character strong female character who the doctor knows who can fly the tardis and i always quite liked it but it was sort of like well i can't believe it's not river song or somebody else and so it's sort of like you know matt's not returning we've got to just wrap everything up and yeah so i you know i liked
1: it but now i love it ding ding (laughs) Uh, james (laughs) I also had the Todd experience. I think um, you're one of many. <laughs> it's it's very popular. Um, at the time, I you know, like it wasn't a great time in my life. Like I had just gone through a really rough breakup, and so I think everything I watched on television from that time was coloured by that. And and I've never gone back to rewatch it until last night. Wow. Okay. Mm, because it just was tarnished by a really negative time in my life and and i really really enjoyed it i yes i mean i think we all we all talk about this uh you know it's moffat desperately trying to wrap up all the plot strands from the last few years it feels like a shopping list but it's wonderfully directed gorgeously acted and fantastically scripted I
0: like it and I think it is much better than most people say it is. But I do think there are elements of kind of Moffat failure mode visible in it. And so I think a lot of the sort of sitcom stuff at the beginning, the voiceover, like papering over centuries with just all of Brady's voiceover, all of those seem like the sort of thing that you would do if you were kind of flailing to get the script done structurally it's a bit first draft yeah yeah, yeah. and i think what what's there, though, is actually pretty great, and I think it needs to be kind of bumped up a bit, because this is a little bit like the girl in the fireplace in reverse, where you have Clara has a Christmas day in which she nips back to the planet Transalor maybe three times at different times in the Doctor's life. And so, the Doctor experiences centuries on this one day, but for Clara, it's just one Christmas day. And so... I think it needed to be told from Clara's point of view rather than the Doctor's point of view. And I guess it's Matt Smith's swan song and you want as much Matt in it as possible. Uh, But I do think that it kind of falls between two stools. It isn't quite what it could be. But I think what it is is pretty great. I mean, the plot is all a bit
2: chuck it in and hold the sides. Yeah. Um, But... I honestly don't care. That's not what I'm here for in this episode. Um, All of the answers that are given and all of the plot threads that are, has to be said, very loosely tied up um, don't really matter to me. I'm here for what the episode is for and that's Matt's farewell.
0: Yeah. I don't think I would have minded if we didn't get those plot threads wrapped up. Same. And I don't quite know what Moffat's doing here. Is he kind of making fun of the desire to have all of this sort of stuff sorted out. So, you know, he makes the silence genetically engineered priests. And, you know, he has all a Brady deal with all of the lingering plot threats from series five and six in just one reasonably short speech, which is kind of something that we could have worked out for ourselves. Maybe we didn't really need it. I think it's like the audience. We come to it and
2: we think, well, what about all those plot threads? And then when you're watching the episode, you realise it doesn't matter. Yeah. What you're here for is the emotion of Matt leaving.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so what the story does, I think, is it boils down who the Doctor is just to one very, very simple scenario. And this is what the Doctor's life has always been, isn't it? He's looking after some people, silly people who are wandering around living their lives and just wave after wave of ridiculous Doctor Who monsters attack them and the Doctor fights them off and then eventually he dies of old age. And in a sense, that's the Doctor's story absolutely boiled down to its very essence.
2: It's kind of like the Pertwee era, but instead of Pertwee defending the earth, it's the Doctor defending
0: this one village. Yeah. 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 And we just get one episode of it too. And it's Moffat actually really, really properly breaking the connection between the show and the Doctor's life. So Matt Smith is the Doctor. For maybe a millennium, right? So he is the Doctor for sort of three hundred years between seasons five and six. Then we get three hundred years don't like it in the middle here, uh-huh. and then we get another whole bunch of hundreds of years with the old Doctor. And so the Doctor's life looks nothing like the program.
2: That's no <laughs> way to talk about Peter Capaldi.
0: <laughs> 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 and and handles is the Doctor's longer serving companion. He's yeah. the Doctor's companion for longer than any anyone else at all.
2: Yeah, more charisma than Vicky and prettier than Dodo.
0: <laughs> so, Handles is played, can I say, <laughs> by my celebrity boyfriend, Kavan Novak, who plays Nandor the Relentless in... What we do in the shadows Who's and your ex, Camellia? <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Flood was my ex <laughs> Yeah, and he's terrific He's really good It's a very kind of thankless part But that bit where he dies You know, waiting for the dawn Is actually so great It's got more impact than Adric <laughs> Yeah, it's really good It's because it's Matt <laughs> You're on a roll with one minus, Peter
1: has got more impact than Adric And he crashed into the dinosaur <laughs> Yeah, absolutely he still didn't
2: give any good information on the way out
0: <laughs> <laughs> no it's that thing it's that it's the callback where the last thing that Handel says is the you know, the reminder to connect the telephone to the console again. Uh, Clearly the random number was something like 157 million um, (laughs) minutes between the doctor giving the reminder and him finally giving it. That's the end. And then Matt, Matt, the way that Matt says thanks mate or good on you mate or something like that is so touching and so understated. It is actually, it's kind of Moffat kind of going, look, I can make you cry when a stupid Cyberman head prop dies you look at what I'm capable of yeah it's
2: like I think you've got a tear now wait another 15 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah
3: Obviously, Stephen got my memo that he had to wrap up all the plot. Plans. And I lived for <laughs> that. That's what you were here for. That's what I was here for. And when that happened, it was like, oh, thank you. Just hand it to me on a plate. You've done a wonderful job. I don't care about anything else.
0: <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it, that it's done so quickly and so efficiently. There yes. wasn't really that much dangling, turns out.
3: No, but, I mean, I guess in the whole episode you've got all the, the big monsters. yeah. And again, Stephen's not really interested in them. No, and uh, I'm all about the hair. Really, (laughs) can I just say, Matt's hair—that wig—is absolutely appalling. (laughs) I just want to say that all I could. What about
0: Clara's? (laughs) (laughs) Did you spot it as a wig, or did you know going in that he would be wearing a wig? I think we knew, didn't we? We
3: knew, and at the time. I didn't mind it, but coming back to it this time, all I could fixate on was the wig. So <laughs> which was so stupid. Karen's when he rips it off. Well.
0: Oh. <laughs> Karen is wearing a wig, yes, because yeah. she'd been nebula, nebula. And the Doctor had been in something else. Matt had been in something else, and so he had to have a buzz cut or something like that. But it's kind of hilarious how how Stephen Moffat just goes, all right, we're putting it in and we're going to make a joke about it. And the idea that the Doctor was Board, and so he shaved his head just out of sheer boredom. Yeah, like because- Perry in War.
4: <laughs> oh, poor
3: tish. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh. It's all happening here,
0: everyone. But what about- But he, but he does have delicate eyebrows. <laughs> the delicate- So He's- do I. <laughs> He's really kind of a little bit embarrassed by that. No, they're just delicate. It's really <laughs> funny. And also the uh, the thing where Clara says that the doctor has ears like rocket fins and he really <laughs> likes that. It's, oh, I know. It's just so great. And- But the I'm wearing a wig thing, like the way that the truth field is established is, again, in another really, really funny sitcom scene where he meets those people, they've got their stories all sorted out, and then the Doctor just blurts out his entire backstory and then ends with, and I'm wearing a wig. Uh, It's so good. What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) Bossy control freak.
3: He just has this knack doesn't he to be able to to give you that humour yeah and give you information and set it all up like yeah. it's just the way
2: he covers his mouth like a child when he's just said something, it's such an unselfconscious performance yeah. like right
0: to the end. So good. And the nudity thing, like the nakedness thing is clearly that Moffat went, Oh, Matt's leaving. We have to have a scene where he's naked because all the fans will love it. Yeah. Yeah. But, Corey also-, <laughs> but also he kind of thinks, you know, it's, uh, he described Matt Smith as an old man in the body of an underwear model. Like he, I'm sure that I, I've heard him yeah, say that. me as well.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so... <laughs> I
3: wonder if Sheila Reid will be as amorous that, to you as she was to him. Oh, my
2: God, I love her. <laughs> They'll be coming round for you, voting twice, <laughs> and using someone else's voting box, both criminal offences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she is so good in that. I love her. And so we've got the nudity scene, which is just clearly oh, just wanted to do. she wasn't part of it. But... <laughs> (laughs) But what they've done is they've made this stupid rule that you have to be naked at church for kind of no reason and then we just get all this sort of comedy nonsense about the nudity and it's so hilarious where we come in and, you know, watching it now knowing what's going on, the doctor has... Created hologram clothes that are projected directly onto Clara's visual cortex, but not onto anyone else's. And so, when he walks in, everyone's reaction to seeing him naked, which we don't know is happening at the time, is so funny. Particularly the father; he's hilarious.
3: Yeah, because
2: Matt's like right next to him, and so he can't look a little to his right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to
0: look away. It's so wonderful. It's just terrific.
2: Is that really the same dad who was quite nice in the no. Rings of Akatan?
3: It's a it's recast, isn't it? Okay. Mm. Well, yes, isn't the dad in The Rings of Akatan, like, young? Young yeah. and short. He seems quite nice in The Rings of Akatan. He was a bit yeah. of a curmudgeon. Stan's not interested in Clara's parenting, really. He's not you know? interested in anyone's parents. Well, that's right, James. Yeah. And so here, again, it's just played for comedy. I do love the fact that the stepmother is just not liked by Clara or, or Gran. Yeah. Like, that's very funny. But I, I do want to say something about... Like, Stephen makes this whole nudity thing. Stephen makes things quite sexual and quite adult, right, in some ways. And I actually think I'm such a prude. Like, I do find it funny their reactions and everything like that, but I just kind of go, oh, really? Like, you have to make the doctor that stupid as to not – like, we're going to Clara's family, Christmas. Surely they're going to walk around – in on the street surely he would not be that dumb well he notices that
0: it's causing some tension the fact that he's naked he
3: eventually (laughs)
0: notices
3: but you know what i'm you know what i'm saying like like surely would just say okay i'll just put a holographic thing on me and everybody will see it were you on board with the turkey being naked (laughs) i mean the whole
0: reason he's naked is for that comedy scene i know i know i'm just being yeah yeah
3: i'm just being me no no but (laughs) where i just kind of like i just think it's a bit naff like on a a, kind of kind of a bit over it like I just yeah. kind of went oh we have to have a comedy mat moment where he's like oh all goofy and all that sort yeah. of stuff
0: it'll be over quite soon do you know what I mean like it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, nearly right. done
3: so yeah. I'm just being a bit negative for a moment but I do find it quite
0: funny like <laughs> do you think Pertwee's doctor would occasionally just get up in the morning and forget to put clothes on while he was well the thing was work?
2: when he's in that shower and spearhead from space he's fully clothed we just don't know
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> I think that's the really funny thing and also
2: Joe Grant never minded
0: <laughs> so we have this whole joke about nudity and the Doctor and Clara both being naked, but we never see it because we see the projected clothes that aren't there. I just hear them talking about being naked. And again, it's Moffat playing with the difference between a television show and what's happening to the characters, which is kind of fun.
3: Yeah. And like, you know, when they go to church and, you know, uh, Tasha <laughs> On Christmas there. morning. You know, thanking them for being naked and (laughs) seeing
0: Jenna's (laughs) Well, I mean, Jenna's got her arms crossed across her despite the fact that we see her wearing that top. Particularly when she's menaced by the silence, we see her with her arms crossed. So she's playing it as if she thinks of herself being naked, which I think is kind of cute. So, Tasha Lem, I guess, is here to kind of give some sort of background to the church that we first see in Time of Angels. She's kind of like the good flip side of Madame Kavarian, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. So, And we learn that the Kavarian sect broke off from the church and travelled back in time to fiddle about in Series
1: 6, I guess. Mm. I kind of love that whole... I know it's him wrapping up all these plot devices, but the fact that his last story is tied to his first season. Yeah, it's all the right way back to time. Series 5, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. and that Series 6 causes Series 5 yes. to happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, that's really clever, isn't it? Mm.
3: It's interesting. I think her performance is absolutely wonderful and it's such a shame that we don't get to see her earlier than what we do. We only get this one story, you know. And so she's not River Song. She's not Madame Vastra. Yeah. She's the next female in the Doctor's life who's slightly older than what he is and knows how to <laughs> pilot the TARDIS. Yeah, it comedic- has to be said she's not a million miles from Riversong. No. That's- and there's sexual tension between them, isn't Oh, there? definitely. Yeah. Well, yes, certainly. And, yeah. and is it all Hey, a- babe. <laughs> is it all a Brady?
0: Yeah, all Brady. I've seen her in something recently. I yeah, thought- she's in Star Trek Picard. She's the Irish Romulan in Star Trek Picard.
3: Yeah, she's only
2: she's only 12 years old. She's against ageing.
0: <laughs> she's
2: fabulous
3: in that. That's what I still yeah, 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 yeah. I kept thinking, where have I seen you before? And then when I went back to this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think she's a great character and it's such a shame that she has to be turned, has to die as a, as a Dalek um, and is only in this one episode.
0: I really like that too. That's so Moffity though, isn't it? It's just like, and then I died, oh funny the things that slip your mind. Yeah, I died screaming your name. That's yeah. quite yeah. 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 And apparently she's died over and over again there. But, again, that's Series 7, right, back to the beginning of Series 7 where the Dalek suddenly can live inside people, which, again, is sort of slightly stupid or whatever and not anything that we've ever gone back to. But it does make for pretty great visuals, I
1: think. And also the body horror of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I mean, from then on, she's got that little thing in her forehead where the yeah. Dalek eye stalk came out And
1: of. has been fighting off the Dalek inside her for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah.
2: We talked about the structure of this episode earlier, but I quite like the fact that it starts off quite plotty and quite light and fun, and kind of gathers melancholy as it goes along. Mm. Um, and so, by this, you know, that first scene with the church is really played for laughs with the Doctor and Tasha Lem. Uh, But when you come back, suddenly, as you said, it is body horror and it is quite grim. And it feels like the episode's stakes are getting higher. And for me, it's a journey through this episode. It starts off as your regular Christmas episode and then it becomes something much deeper and more affecting.
0: I think that the invention of Trenzalore was a really really great one and it is completely tied up here but the doctor has a starting point on Gallifrey and then an ending point on Transalore and we know that at some point the doctor's going to die like that's definitely a thing that has to happen. And so having the doctor know about it here. And I think two Transalor is a good word. It's not a bad such a great space name. name. And it's got the same rhythm as the name Gallifrey, from Gallifrey to Transalore. So the the words work as a pair. And it wasn't all sorted out in name of the Doctor. It's still out there waiting. And so it turns out that this silly comedy planet with its ridiculous inhabitants is Trenzalore, which is going to turn into this terrible battlefield. And it's the Moffat thing as usual of saying, no, screw that. This might be destiny. It might be unalterable. This might be where the story has to go, but we're not doing it. We're going to have a better ending and I really like that
2: the episode starts to slow down as it goes along and so it starts off quite frenetic and quite plotty and you think is this going to go to the place where we're just dealing with all of the plot threads and things like that but it goes to somewhere completely different the weight of what's about to happen kind of bears down on the story Mm. and it sort of narrows its focus down to the doctor and Clara and then eventually just to the doctor and there's something quite beautiful about it
3: Mm. Speaking of beauty, I think it is beautifully, beautifully shot. There's just some wonderful shots of the town Christmas, like yeah. whether it be from the tower or coming into it, that I just think are just absolutely gorgeous. And whether they're being attacked by angels as well, that entire sequence, or wooden Cybermen, yeah. you know, I just think that's one of the most beautiful things in this. The aging makeup, well, I think is done quite well. We're we talking about Clara again. <laughs> I, I'll take that back. I think she's at her best here, and her hair, Todd, is wonderful. Her hair is to die for, Peter. And I actually really love this and Day of the Doctor as stories for Clara. After a strong start, yeah. she then went companion generic for quite a few episodes, and I think these two have been really great for her character. Yeah. She resolves both of them, doesn't she? Yeah. I really do like them a lot. And I kind of, by the way through this, I kind of wished that we'd had another five or six episode run with her and Matt leading up to this, right? I don't know how you could do it, but I just thought after Day of the Doctor and the strength here as well, it would have been nice just to see that relationship ...develop and her character develop... ...without the impossible girl thing hanging over her head. And of course the timing doesn't work... ...because you know one's in November... ...and one's in December and you know... ...Matt's going. So I think it's a shame that we didn't get at least another... ...bit of a run with them together. She's kind of at her
2: most Sarah Jane here isn't she? She's her most generic companion... ...and she's brilliant. Yeah. Like the performance powers it. And Sean of all that kind of impossible girl... Blanis. She's just there to be the best companion she can be.
0: And I'm on board with it. That scene at the end, it's... Remember she runs back to get a Christmas cracker from the table, one of Linda's terrible Christmas crackers, which have poems rather than jokes in them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay that one. but So appallingly good. <laughs> so good. Um, and then... The doctor is so frail that he can't pull the other end of the Christmas cracker and she, you know, grabs his hand, grabs his end of the cracker and helps him to do it. And all of that, like the ageing makeup, I don't think ever really works properly. But because Matt's performance changes 300 years later and then at his death, like they're quite distinct performances and because matt does that so well i think that helps sell the aging makeup which i'm not a big fan of I mean. absolutely i mean it's a tour de force from matt yeah yeah that was so great yes
3: yeah, so the change in his yeah performance throughout the entire story and just little moments like even when clara comes back hugging the tardis and and that moment with them in front of it where they Appear to be crossed and then they're not, you know. Yeah,
2: it's beautiful and that line.
1: No wonder she's late dragging you around.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we should think ourselves lucky though with this makeup because we could have got a CG Dobby doctor again. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, it's look, it's very that. Well, even the tenant aging makeup in that story is much worse than this aging mm. makeup.
2: Tennant's not as much of an aesthetic old man as Matt is.
0: Yeah. It's also he's sort of shriveled and weird and like impossibly old and stuff. And this is just Matt dying of old age. And I think that's another interesting take as well, that the doctor just lives on until Christmas is safe and then he can die. And so Choosing to have him die of old age, like, did you ever have one of those sort of mental lists? You know, it was like, well, uh, old age, and then sentenced to regenerate by the Time Lords, and then spider radiation, and then.
2: Did you ever? Have that? Only ever in my head.
0: <laughs> and then it's kind of like where he just dies of old age, defending just. this thing. He defends it for all of his life, and then dies. Yeah, oh, we hit the great. end of time, and my
2: fanboy went, "What? Dying of radiation
0: twice?" Then. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's simply not allowed.
2: <laughs> I really liken this, the throwback to one of the most affecting moments in Series 1, which is the Doctor sending Rose home against yeah. her will. And that packed a gut punch in Parting of the Ways. And it does it again here. Twice. Twice. <laughs> She's so thick. And it hits differently because well, yeah, she falls for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It hits differently because... Clara thwarts the first attempt and then she and we get tricked again yeah. the second time. You're not expecting it. And when she walks outside to see the tower block, it just, it really hits you. I think that's
0: one of the tower blocks that was used in the series one.
2: As yeah, well. I think that's the yes. parting of the ways fake uh, Rose Tower Block. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it, was, it was one of the ones that was used for the power state. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: And that line... I will never send you home again.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She makes him say it and and he just lies to her. Well, he's not lying. He's already done it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: But you're right, Todd, the episode looks absolutely beautiful. That location is amazing. And there's a really good look to the whole story. The costumes are great. Mm. So all the the inhabitants of Christmas look really great and not in kind, you know, they could have been in space overalls, but they're not. It's got a really distinctive visual style, this episode.
0: It's a little bit like A Christmas Carol, I think. It's sort of slightly Victorian. Stylistically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We even get child actors, Barnable. Barnable, who's pretty good. He is
1: okay. That's a great name. It is, Barnable. Is is Barnable a reference to Twelfth Night? No, I think- I think it's a reference to Barnable Edwards. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's it. I think it's
0: just sort of changed the name Barnaby or Barnaby slightly uh, to make it a sort of- bob holmes kind of space name i think which are often the best space names oh yeah no absolutely well like trenzalore you can imagine holmes coming up with trenzalore um because it just has a real rhythm to it and seems like a real word
2: this episode just wouldn't have been the same if you know the doctor died on ranskorav kalos exactly (laughs)
1: Village, yeah, is um, it's mostly real. Wow, okay. It's it's a what do they call it? Like a fibua, a fighting in built-up areas training facility from the Cold War. Oh wow, Um, based on like a German village. Wow. So when you say
2: that, do you mean like a, a fake town that soldiers storm to practice for real
1: towns? Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that. You enjoyed the angels in the forest. Mm. That's puzzle wood from Time of Angels. Oh, okay. Uh, and oh. flesh With
0: and stone. The forest
2: in the in the middle oh, of the yeah, space. Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember our really interesting discussion about whether that was studio or location. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it yeah. was location. They took the door out on location to the wood. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. So it really is a sort of greatest hits thing.
0: And I think that that's okay because it's not just cheap. It's not just, oh, here are some set pieces that we've done before. It is this is what the Doctor's life is like and what he does. And I think that's absolutely the perfect thing to do to celebrate the end of an era.
3: I've forgotten about the comedy Sontarans, like their brief (laughs) appearance because we'd had – The ticker box list of everything else. And then, you know, we just have to have them in there as well.
0: And it's two Dan Starkeys, isn't it? I think so. Both from the same gene pool.
1: Yeah, the way they're shot by the church. Yeah. <laughs> the church of the people means what is it? The church of the silence apologises for your death. And the relevant afterlives have been informed, I think, as well.
0: <laughs> That's like uh, you will experience a tingling sensation, sensation and then, and then, then death.
3: death. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we have a reverse the polarity of the neutron flow as No, well?
0: so this oh. is actually quite a clever bit, and it's one last go at the – it doesn't do wood joke. Yes. It doesn't do turkey either. So <laughs> he he tells the Cyberman that he's reversed the polarity of the weapon so that the weapon will fire back at him. And then the Cyberman goes, Oh, okay, he's telling the truth. I will. Turn my weapon around again, but that's when the Cyberman actually turns the weapon to face himself. So he tricks the Cyberman verbally into blowing a hole in the middle of himself. He doesn't actually do anything with the uh, sonic screwdriver because it doesn't do wood. I think that's sort of cool. And I think the wood and Cyberman are just a brilliant visual, and why not use them here?
2: Moffat likes doing different things with Simon, doesn't he? So he had sort of, you know, the, the snapping helmet from yeah. um, Pandorica opens and just the arm that was crawling around by itself. And now there would. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. that a very nice way to talk about Karen Gillen? <laughs>
0: uh, now, now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the crack in the wall is back.
0: Yeah. And so we now know that that's been caused by Madame Kavarian. So she sets series five in motion. And it's the destiny paradox. It's exactly what the people in day of the daleks experience that their attempts to thwart something actually end up causing it and so it's the one crack that's
3: left yes which on the other side of that crack is gallifrey yes which is why ken bones
2: (laughs) what that's why ken bones is doing the voiceover it is it's ken bones who's ken bones The General from Day of the Doctor. Oh, my goodness. Is it? Yeah. uh, Who will then show up
0: in Hellbent? Yeah. Yeah. Heaven Sent, Hellbent. And regenerates into T'Nai Miller. Yeah, Yeah. wonderful. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because now what is at risk is that the time war starts again after he fixed it. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So he fixes it in the previous story in Day of the Doctor and then he goes searching for Gallifrey. And I think that that is why it might have been nice to have another season with
3: Matt.
0: Searching for Gallifrey. Yeah, because that looks like where we're heading.
3: Oh, because Handel says the planet's Gallifrey, therefore he's sensing the crack or Gallifrey behind in the other realm or whatever it happens to be. he senses
1: the messages from Gallifrey, so he assumes the planet is Gallifrey because the message is Gallifrey.
3: And come on, we've got the- the seal of Rasselon from <laughs> the five doctors, you know? <laughs> I just think all these tiebacks, like not only from this era but from way back, it's very fanboy and it's very clever and we've said it's a shopping list but – the structure of it, all the lines, everything leading to this point is just brilliant.
0: I think as well they could so easily have made the seal of Gallifrey look completely different, and it does look better than it did in The Five Doctors. The the, ring of pearls around the outside. The ring of pearls around the outside. Like it's still supposed to be the same prop, and he does steal it from the master in the death zone on Gallifrey. It's such a perfect reference, and it... They could have stuffed it up. They but could have metabolist three.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's what's so hilarious is that Pertby takes it, therefore he's got that seal from that
0: point. <laughs> it's been in his pocket for yes. over three hundred years, hundreds yeah, and
3: hundreds. Just hundreds
2: occasionally years. going, arr, arr. <laughs> <laughs> but So <laughs> but the seal of Rassilon, James.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I got the joke. <laughs>
0: So what we have is the time war threatening to break out again after we fixed it in the previous story. And so that just makes this even more important. And there's one moment, the musical cue, that incredible musical cue. Oh, my God, the music in this. Oh, it's good. It's so good because Murray gets to do all of his- themes for you know Clara Murray's greatest hits yeah 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 he gets to do the Dalek theme he gets to do the music from Rings of Ackerson when the regeneration happens all of that stuff is all there but that triumphant moment where the crack appears in the sky and we get that this is Gallifrey music
1: there is that then that moment just before when Clara is talking to the crack and that swell of music behind it uh If you love him and you should uh, help Help him. him. It's so good, isn't it?
0: Because they've been waiting there for hundreds and hundreds of years to come through. They're waiting for the doctor to give them his name and he doesn't do it. And then when Clara speaks to them, they go, yes, you're right. We just can't get through this time. We have to help him. And so they abandon They do the right thing and abandon their plans to come through into our universe this way. You know, they cause the problem and they decide to fix it after Clara speaks to them. And I also think that speech is unbelievably great because it answers the name of the doctor question too. Yeah. His name is The Doctor. He's called that because that's what he
2: does. That moment gets me. Every time I've seen people online talking about crying at moments in Doctor Who too frequently, in my opinion, <laughs> if you're after an emotional catharsis, this is not the program for you. Um, you know, get a grip. Um, but I will pay that moment if you love him, and you should yeah. help him. That's speaking
3: to the audience as well. If yeah. you love him, and you should. And I think it also is testament to Jenna's acting. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Like we can say what we want about how the character's written. But I just think she just continually nails it time and time again. She's you know? emoting like hell to a green screen.
0: Yeah.
2: It's,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's talking to the wall, you
2: yeah. know.
3: But even earlier I think when doesn't she say now it's time for one last bow, eleventh hour is over now. The clock is striking twelve. Isn't that? Is that her dialogue? Does she read it? She does. She reads the the cracker message.
0: Yeah, and from I th- from the fake poet. I think that's so funny too. So the way that's set up is that Linda has brought these classy Christmas crackers, and like shout out to Linda for a second. Moffat doesn't normally do the sort of Annalise Neris kind of character, <laughs> but this is probably as close as he gets with Linda. And we had all that stuff about Ellie. Like Clara's mother dies, and we see the graveside and all of that sort of thing early in Series Seven B. And now here's her father with this horrible, horrible stepmother. <laughs>
3: it's, it's Such a shame we don't get those five or six episodes looking for Gallifrey and having them
1: as, as and
3: Grand as supporting characters. <laughs> yeah, Hello, yeah. big finish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the missed opportunity for me. Is that the structure of Series Seven? Means that you get that mini season, then a big gap, then the second half, then the anniversary, then the Christmas special. If only maybe they'd push things back and we could have had more episodes between the anniversary and the next Christmas special so that there would have be been more room to breathe. I guess the problem is, isn't it, that Moffat wasn't expecting Smith to leave? And everything was kind of falling to the ground a bit. Even though he told him, I will only do three years, and he was not contracted after name of the Doctor. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong on this, but as far as I'm aware,
2: Matt wasn't contracted beyond his three seasons, and so he did the day of the Doctor as a favour, basically, he didn't have to do it, he wasn't contractually obliged. And I think Matt might have wanted to leave in Day of the Doctor, so he might have wanted to come back and go. And Stephen kind of twisted the friendship arm a little bit and said, no, no, let's do another episode, like Christmas episode, I'll write you a really good story. And Matt, again, just because he's a good guy and he had allegiance to the program, Stephen said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so we were really lucky that we got this episode to say goodbye to Matt.
3: I agree with you. I think everything that Stephen's been doing is leading up to this 50th anniversary. All the problems with that and the way he got around it and how that ties together. And we've mentioned like this is, well, Nathan, you talked about the fact that there's kind of Moffat failures within this and this could be a first draft. But even if it is a first or second draft, it's still quite amazing how he can then leapfrog onto this and bring all of this stuff together for matt for everybody and do it in a way that i think perhaps only he or even russell can do you know
0: yeah i mean i think he does a better job than russell does because i think russell in the end of time parts one and two is running on fumes at that point as well and both moffat and russell can write really great stuff under really trying circumstances. But I have to say that I like this a lot more than I like the end of time. And I like the end of time quite a lot more than other people do, I think. If this is your first draft... Yeah, I mean, I first draft. I think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think there are the sort of things that
1: that disappear, like artifices, like voiceovers and stuff like that. I don't know, but what I'm saying is, if this is a a rush job, a uh, written written at the eleventh hour. You're struggling to to get this out in time because you're running on fumes. And you've had all these production problems, it's still bloody good. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, like, that's a testament to his ability as a writer. It's
0: Sandifer's thing about how Bob Holmes could write Doctor Who in his sleep. And, and frequently. We know did. that
4: because he did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's the same thing here. Moffat's written more Doctor Who in his sleep than uh, well, <laughs> Holmes ever did. Uh, he hasn't quite
0: reached that point here, but he will reach that point in Capaldi's second season where he's written more Doctor Who than anyone else. So
2: I'm not willing to say that this is the best thing that Stephen Moffat has ever written. It comes close in parts, but I think what it is is the most heartfelt thing. Mm. Um, it's not only about his love affair with the show and the Doctor, as well as Clara's and ours, but it's informed by Stephen's friendship with Matt. And he's kind of his his disconsolation at losing him from yeah. Doctor Who. And because Clara feels the same, and because we in the audience feel the same, the episode kind of transcends your typical goodbye to a doctor. It's about growing older, and it's about change being the only constant. You know, that line, we all change. Uh, yeah. We're all different people through our lives. Um, that's okay. In this instance in particular, I don't think we're ready for things to change, and we're not ready for Matt to leave the program. So it hurts on a level. yeah. And so seeing him reduced to a frail old man who's kind of shouting at the Daleks to get off his lawn, um, <laughs> Stephen just taps into that, and there's no disguising the fact that he's writing it from the heart.
0: Yeah. It is that here is the Doctor living out his life, fulfilling his absolute mission statement, and, and just getting the essence of the program happening in the story.
1: There are moments in that final speech from Matt where it feels like he can't look at the camera because he's on the verge of tears.
0: That weird thing where he moves his hands around, like he does some very strange... He makes some very strange choices in that final speech. And I think they're great. There's a little pause there before he embarks on the very final bit of the speech where he just kind of looks at It's like he's gathering his strength to yeah. deliver those last lines. It's so much better than what Capaldi gets to do, which again is another, we'll get there, but it's another Moffat running on empty Script where he just relies on the fact that Capaldi can give a 10 minute speech with no problems at all and then just flings one in his direction. Whereas this one is about who the doctor is every bit as much as Capaldi's final speech is, but it's just a lot better. <laughs>
3: Then we get the regeneration energies like an atomic bomb. (laughs) Bigger and
0: better than ever before. Well, he's been holding it in. You see, that's what happens when you hold it in. And it's the first regeneration that sort of happened outside the TARDIS as well. And I think that's really terrific. It's just this tiny breath, isn't it? He takes this, it's this little breath, the crack opens, we get the music, that little sort of tiny wisp of regeneration energy, and then it suddenly it's like lava pouring out of his arms. It's so tremendously great.
1: Well, that's because he got topped up with a fuel that he didn't actually need.
0: No, Uh, no, I refuse to that's not canon. (laughs) So it's that, you know, whole new cycle of regeneration. That's something that we haven't talked about either. We discover in this episode that Matt Smith has been the last doctor all along. And it's clear that that's just an idea that he's had for this. Story, because there is talk of the possibility of him regenerating and things during the era. So here we've decided that all along the Doctor has known that this is his last go at things.
3: Because we've got the War Doctor and Ten (laughs) Hatter...
0: another generation <laughs> Vanity issues.
3: <laughs> and I think that's
0: genius. I think that's so good. So making the doctor dying of old age. Like this is the doctor dying. It's not just, oh, Matt Smith's doctor will just regenerate and it'll be different. This is him facing death in a way that Tennant wasn't. Remember Tennant had to give us that gloopy speech about how you die and then another man saunters away in your place. Here it's real actual death that he's facing
3: but the other thing too is as as fans like if he just regenerated then you'd be going oh well this is the last regeneration that's it so is that going to be sort of looming over the series or the doctor and all of his moves for the next you know couple of years this way it's just sort of well yes this is the last one and now we've solved that problem he's got a whole new cycle boom
0: yeah in fact, Russell sort of half-heartedly tries to solve the problem in the Sarah Jane adventures because Clyde, I think, asks Matt Smith's doctor, is it Matt Smith's or Tennant?" He means both of them. Yeah. Um, how many times do you get to regenerate? And he says 506 or something. And, you know, the 12 regeneration limit was a throwaway line of exactly the same type, but it stuck and everyone, you know, it happened during a... Bob it Holmes happens. Story. Well, it, it so it's in Deadly Assassin that it comes up, but then we move to a version of the program that's in love with its own mythos, and so it turns that. Bob Holmes throwaway line into, you know, an inviolable canonical rule. Thanks, Ian Levine. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's nice that that goes away here. We don't need it anymore. And this is fan-wank kind of done
2: correctly. Yeah. something Which, you know, it's just fan law, which the wider public wouldn't care about and which we really shouldn't care about. But it becomes integral to the episode and it becomes part of the dramatic thrust of the episode. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it is the fact that the Doctor is living out his life. He doesn't have a regeneration ahead of him. He's staying in Christmas for hundreds of years and he doesn't get to turn into someone else and walk away once the problem's solved. I've had Christmas days like that as well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this should have been called the 12 Regenerations of Christmas. (laughs) It
0: was originally going to be called Twelfth Night. No, well, I think that that should have been what Capaldi's final episode was called too. I was slightly disappointed by Twice Upon a Time.
2: Yeah. Although that's nice. Uh, this is such a lovely bookend to Matt Smith's era. It would have been nice if it was 11th Hour, 12th Night. Yeah. Yeah,
3: Yeah. that would have been
2: nice. So I think when you were saying earlier, Nathan, about um, Capaldi's regeneration can't really stack up to this one, I think making any comparison to this regeneration is pretty much a difficult thing to do. I think this might be the best. And it starts from that moment where the doctor's on top of the – of the church tower. And then it all quietens down. We're left in the aftermath. And you've just got Clara with a lot of trepidation kind of picking her way towards the TARDIS and going inside. And we share that trepidation. Mm. We don't know what we're going to find. No. Um and like you can feel it swelling up inside you because you know that you're approaching the moment of regeneration. And I don't think we've ever had that kind of that emotional catharsis, maybe Planet of the Spiders in the classic series when the TARDIS reappears and Sarah Jane and the Brigadier are there. You know the moment of
3: generation is coming, and it's almost unbearable. It's interesting because, like, you know, as they shoot it with him walking up the stairs in the TARDIS, like, I just expected it. I thought, well, is it, might it be. Cap- or is it Capaldi? Cap- Cap- like, yeah. I mean, surely... Is that it, is going to be Matt in the old age makeup? Is it going to be the Matt we know? Yeah. That energy's happened, like based on what's happened twice before, then he should should have changed. So when you get that coda scene with him, you know, saying his final lines and then looking at the vision of the fake young Amelia walking around, yeah. running around where. Because Caitlin's a teenager. teenager. She's too old. Yeah, yeah. So she's it's 82. Like, <laughs> so it's like. She's too small and she's too thin for that. And yeah. I, 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 every time I see that, I kind of go, hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I just go, hmm, you, could you have got a different child actor who was a bit more... Or just shot st-
1: slightly differently. Same yeah.
3: body shape. Like, it just annoys me. But, but then looking up and when Karen suddenly comes into shot, like, I mean, that just got to me. Yeah. Totally. It's funny. Do you think...
0: That we have Matt Smith in aging makeup, so that when Matt regenerates into Capaldi, we're not kind of sort of horrified by the fact that he's suddenly Craig. aged thirty years. Nathan, I look in the mirror every morning; nothing horrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> hold man hands. When did that happen? Um, yeah. So I. I <laughs> Like, I think that the decision he makes is right that he gives Matt a final scene without the aging makeup so that he can just be the Matt that we know. Yeah. That he has some throwaway line about how it's a reset or whatever. Like, who cares? It's space reasons, and we just deal with it really quickly. The real reason is that we allow Matt to die of old age, we allow his doctor to die of old age, then we get the Matt that we know saying the farewell speech. And then we suddenly get Capaldi.
3: But we get Karen, we get the bow tie coming off, mm-hmm. you know. It makes a sound,
0: not a diegetic sound, but it's a sound in the music when he pulls the tie off and drops And then it.
2: falls to the floor. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. All of his instincts are right yeah. in this regeneration scene. It's just, it's so gorgeously written and it kind of gives full expression to Stephen's sadness, I think, mm. at losing Matt. Um, It's the saddest regeneration
1: if there's something that can be said about the production of this era, this this early era with Moffat is that it was a family production, you know, like he evidently got on very well with his leads, you know, like yeah. Matt, Karen and Arthur and Stephen were like really, really close and really the show that he Created in 2010 has been dying, and I don't yeah. mean that
2: in a negative no, way. No, no, no. Like, Again, it's the like ca- the era, it's kind of being
1: stripped away. Yeah, like exactly. It. This, this, this is an analogue to to season eleven. Really, um, is that that version of the show has been dying for the last season? Yeah. Like, like this has been a really drawn out kind of stripping away of these piece characters. By piece. Yeah, yeah. And then,
0: yeah. Yeah, we've lost River Song most recently. We even lost, like, you know, the TARDIS
2: console room that we knew, even though this one is better, you know, the bits being taken away.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why the closest analog is the – is the Pertwee era because the Pertwee era is the only era of the show with that expanded regular cast and a home base. It's the only era of the show that has enough that you could gradually strip it away and still have a functioning show. And when
2: I said earlier that I think this is the saddest regeneration, the only other contender, as I said, I think is Planet of the Spiders yeah. and it's for the same reason. Mm.
3: Very true. And then you you get um, Peter appearing and, and – I think that he looks really old I actually th- and haggard. <laughs> like I really think he's badly lit in this. Like I just think he just looks washed out and appalling and, and he actually looks better later on in his run than at th- oh. this point. I don't know if it's the lighting of the TARDIS or, or what, but when I watch it again, it's like, oh good grief and I love him but I'm thinking what are people are going to think about this going from a really young hot doctor and having two young doctors in a row suddenly to somebody that is your grandpa
1: he's 55 <laughs> <laughs> or closer to my age <laughs> it's, it's, I mean that's a, the, the often cited fact is that he's the same age as Hartnell was when he was cast as Doctor Who um, I agree like he, he he it's not just the contrast between a twenty something year old actor and and a fifty something year old actor, it's it is badly lit. He looks so much better in series eight. Right, yeah. And that's not an ageist thing, like I just think it's it, it, there's something going on with the lighting, maybe. Or the makeup. Or the makeup or they didn't have time. It was it, it was a rush job. I have to say though that
0: I really like it. You remember when Davison turns into Colin Baker and it happens just like that, like he's lying down and his Davison and then he's, he sits
3: up and suddenly he's Baker. Yes, you're right. That shocked me yeah. so much of the time it's like boom. Suddenly I went, oh, that's yeah, 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 yeah. it? That's yeah, the change? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we'd had
0: all of that stuff before. We couldn't do another one of him standing there with stuff pouring out of him again because we already had that to destroy the TARDIS. So having the Doctor just kind of fall out of frame and then suddenly – suddenly look up and it's Capaldi is so shocking and so funny, I think. With
1: his attack
3: eyebrows. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's off-putting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is deliberately the same way that Colin Baker's initial appearance is meant to be off-putting.
2: It gives you the right energy for Capaldi's first moments because he's really intense and it would be difficult to go to that from a- Lying on the ground, energy pouring out of him. You need to snap into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it is really funny. I'm not sure about the kidneys line. I think it is perhaps a. Trying I read a bit somewhere.
2: Too hard. I read somewhere that those lines were improvised. Oh, really? Yeah, which, which seems strange. Surely yeah. you wouldn't just leave your leading actor to improvise their first lines.
0: But the the can you fly this thing? Like ending it that way, and just the shock on Clara's face at what's just
3: happened. Which we will be discussing. In the future. <laughs> we will. That's right. But it may mean he you know, everything is set up here, you know. Um Clara walking to the TARDIS and finding the phone.
0: Yeah, yeah, hanging the phone right. up.
3: Hanging the phone up.
0: Oh, and he must have fixed the phone when
3: Handel said That's right. Yeah, he's fixed the phone. So there, there's you know, Stephen is clever and yeah. there's things in this that will pay off next time. And that's what I like, when there's little things like this, rather than suddenly out of the blue, having to retrofit things into plot. Mm. When little things like this are set up and the woman in the shop several episodes ago, moving forward, there's going to be a payoff. And and I like that, you know.
2: You know, Stephen is sometimes labelled a clever clogs writer um, and actually – like I said, Todd, he's just clever. His detractors try to make out that he's kind of a bit cynical and a bit plot twisty and that's his thing. And he can be. He is yeah. those things. But here he's those things, but he's also kind of genuine and rawly emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what powers this episode for me. It's what makes it one of the best.
0: that's all we have time for this Christmas. We'll be back on New Year's Day to bring the 11th hour to an end in our Matt Smith retrospective. So, yeah. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can keep up with us at Flight Through Entirety on Facebook, at FTE Podcast on Twitter, and on our website, flightthroughentirety.com, where you'll find links to our other podcasts, Bondfinger, Jodie Interterra, Maximum Power, and Untitled Star Trek Project. Until next time, may you never forget all the people that you used to be. Thank you very much for listening and good night. See you soon. Merry Christmas. Raggedy man. Good
2: night. (laughs)
0: Was Flight Through Entirety Starring Todd Bilby, Nathan Bottomley, Peter Griffiths And James Selwood Theme arrangement by Cameron Larne. This episode, To Have a Better Ending Was recorded on the 11th of September 2022 And released on Christmas Day Thank you dear listener for joining us this year We'll see you again on New Year's Day But until then, as always A happy Christmas to all of you at home I'm going to press record. That way we have to talk. Oh, the, uh, the tag is, uh, you talking, no, you talking like, I think Brendan says, cause there's two grandfathers in rings of Akersen, right? And,
3: uh, <laughs> most gracious.
0: Exactly. <laughs> well, cause the doctor mentions that he's a grandfather yeah, and yeah. then there's grandfather. And, um, and Is there a Susan joke in there somewhere? N- yes, oh, okay. <laughs> and and there's also there's a Stephen a Dodo joke naturally oh, wow. as well. Um, but uh, you, uh, Brendan says, uh, but the doctor's a giver, not a taker, <laughs> and then you repeat it in the most. <laughs> Appallingly uh, Rude play. way And then we Then we go back To talking about Miss Kislet's badge
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have no memory of this Miss <laughs> well, Kislet's badge Was nearly the title Of the uh, Rebels of St John one
3: Because
2: you
0: innocently goes If you look closely At Miss Kislet's badge And I'm like oh what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes When I was listening to that I went Oh my god <laughs> That was nearly
0: the title there was, a, there was a lot that
1: you cut out after that wasn't there uh,
0: I did yes I, I did tone that down Which makes
2: it really <laughs> funny James Is that you're expiring in the background You're going
1: oh no <laughs> <laughs> <that was serious." laughs> which, which is and, not usually the way I react
0: I also talk about the pan Babylonians That they're Babylonians But they're not very picky about who they have sex with <laughs> We have fun. All
1: right.
0: This is Rings of Akkerton. Just to say, Time of the Doctor, directed by Jamie Payne. Yeah.
1: Who did Hyde?
0: Yeah. We we also slam Hyde in that that episode. Time of the Doctor is well directed though. Yeah. 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 Very well directed. Yeah. I think Hyde looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It looks like something was happening. Boring. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm tentative about saying this, but uh, just put it – when you pick that up and put it down, make sure no one's talking. I oh, don't
1: no, no. Yeah. I was probably not going to actually yeah. drink more of it.
0: Okay. All right. Here goes. Uh, order. Nathan, Todd, Peter, James. No, Nathan – what order? Yeah. yeah. Antiglop. Yeah. Okay. Hello dear listener and welcome back to Flighter Entirety.